the dynamic of work between man and machine inevitably changing as we move forward? And what should business leaders be thinking about in terms of how those changes will impact their companies? Whether you run a factory floor, a call center, or a floor full of programmers, I think that this episode will be useful in terms of thinking through what workflows might look like between humans and machines five years into the future. And I think this will bring forth some fruitful thought in that department. Our guest this week on the AI and Industry podcast is Marshall Brain. Marshall is an entrepreneur, he's a lecturer, uh, he's a computer science guy, uh, and he sold one of his first businesses, a website called How Stuff Works, for a quarter billion dollars to Discovery Communications, the makers of Discovery Channel and related media properties. Marshall's been in the tech world for quite some time. How Stuff Works was started in the 90s. Um, and Marshall's also been speaking about this topic for some 10 years. When I first got interested in this domain of how AI would impact society and the economy, you know, maybe six years ago, Marshall was one of the very few people who actually had uh, speeches and presentations on this stuff way back then. Uh, he's obviously had more time to think about it. Technology certainly progressed a lot in the last you know, 10 or six years. Um, and we have quite a fruitful conversation about the dynamics of man and machine at work and what that looks like across industries. If you guys enjoy this episode, make sure to drop us a review on iTunes or send me an email, LinkedIn, whatever the case may be. The feedback we've gotten recently on social and in reviews has been some of the most useful stuff for me in terms of determining who's going to be our next guest and what kind of topics and themes we should focus on. Uh, there's really no better way for us to learn. And so if you like this episode, you appreciate this episode, let us know why. Uh, what it is that you learned about it that made it fun or useful for you and drop that into iTunes. But without further ado, otherwise, moving forward, we're going to talk about the dynamics of man and machine at work and what it means for you with Marshall Brain here on AI and Industry. So Marshall, we had talked together a little bit off microphone about kind of the changes in the workplace with automation, with artificial intelligence, and the difference between what humans are responsible for versus what machines are responsible for. And you brought up an interesting dynamic about kind of units of work. Uh, what is a human actually here to deliver on now that we have as much technology as we do in the works now? Can you articulate that kind of dynamic for us and how you see that playing out today? So here's one way to think about uh, how the workplace is heading right now. And you can think of it like human beings have become wetware where there is hardware and there's software and then there's everything in the middle that hardware and software can't do right now and people are doing those pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. So the idea of the unit of work is taking what happens on an assembly line where you have a person doing a specific task in a mechanical space but applying that across the whole enterprise. So you could think you know, about what a programmer does. We treat programmers, you know, we give them a task and then a week or two later, we ask them for the result of that task. You can imagine that getting broken down in a much more fine grained way, managed by software, you know, where we have a piece of software that's able to manage humans at a very microscopic level. And we ask humans to fit into that kind of wetware structure. And we've seen this happen uh, in a lot of industries. We just haven't seen it applied across the whole enterprise yet. So a great example of that would be what happened uh, with directory assistance, where mm -hmm. 
at the beginning, you know, a human did every part of the transaction. Then we had a recording say, hello, what's your, you know, what number do you want to have? And then a human responded after the recording. Then we had uh, the human just listen and type the number in. The human just did the voice recognition part, but now we have a computer that can do that. So if you imagine that same kind of process with everything, where we take apart all the things happening inside a corporation and then have humans do only the things software can't, you can kind of envision how the wetware part is going to get managed and then how it's going to be minimized over time. Huh. And you used a kind of a way of framing this in a dynamic that I think is maybe worth calling attention to. You, you mentioned uh, how the wetware is managed. I think most of the time, and, and probably rightfully so, we think about how does the wetware or how do the humans manage the hardware and the software. But you're talking about now kind of the wetware being a kind of a part or a cog in this bigger system, which may itself be managed by software systems, which maybe uh, look across maybe the deliverables of your call center agents or the deliverables of your programmers or the deliverables of your sales folks or whatever the case may be. And maybe the wetware becomes kind of part of what gets managed. Uh, it is not only kind of, again, it, it, it's not something that humans necessarily use as a tool, but maybe humans kind of become a part of this bigger aggregate system managed by machines. That is the direction we're heading in where like, there are less and less and less things that an enterprise needs from human beings, and they only need those pieces until they're replaced by software. So like we don't have great vision systems yet. We still need human vision systems to recognize text or to you know do placement of objects or whatever. The human can fill that role as a piece of wetware until the software and the hardware catches up and then we replace the human with a piece of technology. If you think about the whole enterprise at that level, that kind of fragmentation of, of what human beings do and the integration of humans into the hardware software system, it's a powerful concept. It's kind of depressing when you think about it. <laughs> it can be, yeah. That is definitely the way things are heading. It's curious because there's, there's a few different kind of dynamics to think about. You know, when I look across all the case studies that we've put together, we do a lot of publishing of, you know, we'll, we'll get all these different vendor companies that are selling AI, you know, products to enterprises and, and we'll kind of get case studies and results and line them up. You know, commonalities are, okay, humans are the ones who are kind of determining the goals and, and the desired outcomes and sort of calibrating and setting up the systems uh, the systems are often doing some really complicated calculations and drinking in all kinds of information, making sense of it and pushing a result out the back end. And then humans are sort of, you know, with their human kind of contextual understanding, making sense of what does this result mean? Is this good or bad? And what do we need to do from there? So it very much is kind of almost like another tool. You know, it's it's like a it's like a cannon. We determine where we want to point the cannon. We then get to choose when we push the button to shoot it. Once the cannonball's in the air, it kind of goes where it goes, and then we get to assess where did it land and what should we do next. Very much kind of tool-like in some regards. But you're talking about this this other dynamic, which may become part of sort of the AI and automation system within corporations that might be worth thinking about, where we have all these moving gears and cogs, 
and we have a result out the back end. There's wetware cogs, hardware cogs, and software cogs, and maybe it's not humans that in every single one of those units that are responsible for an output, maybe it's not humans that manage from maybe even sometimes a higher level uh, what those outputs are. Maybe it is software that kind of orchestrates the majority of what the people are up to. I guess, you know, what, what this reminds me of is kind of like the Ubers of the world in some regard, where it's really systems determining and directing people with, you know, kind of complete reliance on the systems. Of course, there's people building them and monitoring them, but by golly, when when Jim gets a notification at 3.30 that there's a lot of people that want rides and he should go hit the road, you know, that, that wasn't somebody in the office hitting him up. That was just the system. And the system's going to tell him where to go next. And the system, that, that seems like an example, one example of the dynamic you're talking about. Are, are you maybe envisioning more things like that, orchestration of human labor by a system becoming more normal in other corporate contexts? Right. There's no reason why you can't take that kind of uh, discretization. There's probably a better word, but no, I like it. You made up a word on the podcast. It's excellent. <laughs> so your take, like humans in Uber are wetware. Why, like, why are the humans at Uber? Because we haven't yet developed all the tech to do a self-driving car. Exactly. The instant we have that tech, they're done. The drivers are gone. Rough right. Time. The human. Rough the, time. For the, them. Yeah. Right. The wetware is unplugged and the hardware software is plugged in. That same kind of discretization of tasks can happen all over an enterprise if you apply that lens to it. And you can you can imagine human beings just becoming components of this larger system that is no different from the other components that you've plugged into it having bought them off the shelf. Hmm, this is this is really, really curious. So, you know, what I'm thinking about if I'm kind of a business leader now and I'm looking at my own organization, which is, you know, that's the people we have tuned in here, they're often, you know, hearing from folks who run vendor companies and they're imagining the tool analogy. Okay, we're going to have to calibrate it, set it up and have the expertise to know what it's doing. We're going to point it and shoot it and then we're going to make sense of the results and direct it. it. It is another tool. It's just a, we could call it a smart tool. It was doing things otherwise humans used to be able to do, but it's still kind of in tool category. What we're talking about here is how are systems being constructed to maximize our result not necessarily being hindered by this notion that humans use the tools, but possibly that all these cogs turn together, uh, you know, software, wetware, hardware, to pump the result out the back end. And, and maybe Uber-like scenarios will exist in a call center. Maybe Uber-like scenarios will exist to manage a uh, floor of developers. Maybe Uber-like scenarios will, you know, be in place at I don't know, you know, the staff at restaurants or something along those lines. Um, maybe that's kind of a worthwhile brainstorm for people in the business space. You know, what could be better orchestrated by a system to get our results done than maybe by people with, a, you know, with a cheat sheet that they're looking at and kind of directing the underlings? Right. You, you had mentioned uh, HR at some point. Yeah. And why, why can't you discretize all the things that are happening inside of HR uh, we've already taken a lot of things and pushed them into technology, but the notion that there's a group of people sitting around and you know maybe half their time is wasted or something. Well, you can you can eliminate that half of the time by putting the humans into wetware positions into a system and pulling out 
the value, the very, very specific pieces of value you need that haven't been automated yet. Yeah, man. It, you know, it, it reminds me in some regard, there's, there's whole companies that are kind of distributed in this way. There's, you know, outsourced bookkeeping firms, there's outsourced, I don't know, graphic design stuff where you sort of submit things into a system, you know, the system in some respect is going to maybe pick or choose based on whether it's kind of some old school software or whether it's AI, you know, who should maybe do what uh, and how that result should be delivered back. And it's kind of a platform that's sort of the boss. It's a platform that kind of calls the shots and it's people that sort of do the deliverables, but they're very much orchestrated by a system that ensures efficiency. Um, and like you talked about, when you have somebody who works 50% of their clock hours, you're sort of not looking at efficiency. Right. And you just take – it's the assembly line notion, but it's applied – it can be applied to lawyers. It can be applied to doctors. It can be applied to all kinds of things we consider higher level functions. It just hasn't been done yet. I like that as a lens. So as, as a lens for business leaders to kind of think through this idea. And I think a lot of people, Marshall, and, and in all fairness, uh, you know, maybe for good reason, are a little bit skeptical of, let, let's use Lyft for an example. I think Uber has a lot of tinge right now at the time of this recording. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about Lyft, which has a nice pink logo and they're not in the press for bad things. So, and I'm not necessarily an anti-Uber guy. I'm just, I want the audience to think without kind of an inherent uh, bias one way or another. And Lyft probably has less of that. You know, some people are maybe a bit skeptical of Lyft in a few ways. Number one, they feel like, okay, there's a really small group of people that are actually making the money here. Everybody else is working functionally minimum wage. You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm not hating on Lyft. I'm sure they make a little bit more than minimum wage, but we all get the idea that they don't get stock options, right? Um, so, you know, there's that dynamic. And then there's also the, this fact that they all kind of have to know that they're going to go at some point that like they are, you know, Musk is quotable in this regard. I, I quote Bostrom a lot more than I quote Musk generally, but Musk talks about kind of being the, uh, the biological kind of boot to a digital system. You know, we're, we're just kind of what kicks it off. And I, I think people understand that like, ah, we're just kind of here to sort of train all these cars and processes. And at some point we're gone. So people are skeptical of that. And I think maybe corporations who are thinking about their futures, Marshall, they might be like, man, do I want people to feel as kind of loved and respected by our company as maybe Lyft drivers do? And I don't know how they feel, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's not great. Maybe it's great. I'm not sure. But there's a, there's really an inherent skepticism there. Do you think kind of people are going to have to get used to that? Or people are going to have to mix that dynamic of machine management with some kind of insurance or assurance that, hey, we still respect you as an intelligent human. Hey, You'll still have benefits and whatnot, um, because otherwise, you know, revolt might be somewhat eminent. You know, Lyft doesn't have to deal with this because the Lyft drivers aren't in Lyft's office. But if you run an insurance firm and three floors of your 20-floor building is managed entirely by machines, how many times do those guys go to the other floors and bitch and moan about it? You know, how do businesses adjust to that? I think the analog historically is the the movement from craftspeople to assembly line workers. Where if you go to Williamsburg, you can see human beings assemble a whole gun you know, as craftspeople, not, not as assembly line workers. But then if you go look at a gun factory, a person is doing this very tiny, discrete task that has been 
trivialized to the point where anybody just about can perform it. McDonald's, right? It's like, you know, if you're, sure. if, you're if you have a third grade education, it is a decent first job. Like you can get in there because they've designed their workflows so that you don't need previous experience. You just hop in, sit down, here's the here's the cheat sheet, flip the burgers. Right. And every that is how all assembly lines function. You've you've taken something that used to be done by craftspeople and you've discretized it. So what is going to happen is that is going to get applied to everything. And then humans, you know, the thing that hasn't happened so aggressively in the past is that humans are going to get unplugged from those roles as soon as the technology exists to replace them. So, you know, inside of McDonald's, there's uh, there's a hundred places where you can take away the human and put in a piece of technology instead, and that is going to actually occur. Yeah, and I think now that you mentioned the assembly line, Marshall, you're getting me to think. In the past, this whole idea of, hey, we're only here until machines can do our job, I guess people in factories have probably felt that way for a long time. And you know what? A lot of their jobs aren't even overseas. They're just being done by machines, right? I mean, you know, if you're sitting there putting a specific lug nut on a specific piece of some automotive equipment, or maybe you're checking lug nuts, you're checking the tightness of lug nuts on, on, a, on a, a specific unit for an eight-hour shift, you sort of probably have this creeping notion that there's going to be a machine that can kind of fit some grippers around those same nuts and test them and sort of either put it in the good bin or the bad bin by itself. So I think maybe in the corporate white collar world, it, it won't be all that different. Maybe people will kind of know, look, I'm going to have to be retrained or look, my job is going to have to get a little bit more complex here because I kind of realize, you know, just like the blue collar folks do that as soon as a machine can do this and doesn't need lunch and doesn't need dental insurance. Um, a machine's going to do it. Right. That is, that is the inevitable future. And it, I think as people more and more come to realize this, you know, unless we invent a new economy or something that doesn't make it depressing, it is depressing. So, yeah. you know, it, I, I did this show with National Geographic called Factory Floor, and we visited dozens of factories. And, you know, like take a car factory. A huge part of that has been automated now. The pieces that are left are are things like the wiring harness, where you need a really good vision system and a really good manipulator system to deal with it. Yep. We just haven't develop that yet so a human being is installing the wiring harness and the carpeting and you know things like that but that's the only jobs really left in the assembly line is these really kind of weirdly complicated ones and those will be replaced i give it a you know 10 years for the software and hardware to figure that all out and and then wiring harnesses will be done by machine as well Man, well, I'm wary of time, so we'll make sure that this is kind of our last little little touch point. But I, I really have gotten a lot of, out of this in terms of things to think through. You talked about the factory floor, and you're right. I guess dexterity—it's certainly in a very granular level—is very much not something we've nailed. Uh, vision systems way better than we were even three years ago, but definitely not something we've nailed. You mentioned that that it might be a bit of kind of a depressing circumstance if if you look ahead. I guess this is if you presume that those folks are all out of jobs and whoever runs the factory is you know has a larger mansion than they they do already. 
Um, you know, in terms of, uh, of kind of your own closing food for thought for, for business folks out there, obviously this is its own book, Never mind its own, you know, three minutes of your, your thoughts. But if you, if you're a business leader thinking about the well-being of your folks and thinking about the transitions that are inevitable to stay in business, but also, you know, your impact on humans in your community and the people that, that put in their time for your business, how are you maybe thinking about hedging some of those risks if you're running a larger corporation today? I would really hire 10 people to do a deep dive into what is happening in the AI space, the technology space, the deep learning space. You have people look at Watson and chatbots and uh, self-driving technologies, you know, anything that could be applied to your part of the business world and see how could this stuff apply to me? What are my competitors' very early attempts in these areas? And try to extrapolate out, you know, your HR department, how is that being outsourced right now? And how will it be outsourced uh, in three or five years? What parts of the thing could be automated, but you've just not thought to do it yet? You know, there hasn't been any pressure necessarily to do it. Yeah. But there is so much change coming down the pipe. And it's happening so fast that the whole landscape is going to get reformatted in five years, 10 years. You, you just look at what's happening you know, in AI chips right now. Oh, yeah. Between ARM and NVIDIA. You know, the things that are being integrated into hardware and the ways they can be exploited are are amazing and quite a bit of it is untapped at the moment. So either you're going to do it in your industry or someone else is going to do it and take your market share as a result. That's sort of the environment with this much new stuff coming yeah. online. So I, I guess the another kind of takeaway lens to think through forward looking as we wrap up here, Marshall, for companies, you know, determine sort of your goals and what it is you're trying to achieve and what it is that your competitive advantage is. Uh, look at kind of the possibility space of what AI is doing in those different dimensions and places and areas and ways and what some precedents are of, of those those kind of bits of progress and then make some firm distinctions of, around kind of directions that, you know, instead of being disrupted, maybe you should be a little bit ahead of the curve because, you know, you could probably do some critical thinking and figure out what's inevitable and make smarter choices rather than being forced to adapt last minute. That's kind of what I'm taking away from from your last statement. Let me know if that's correct. Right. Like just just to pick one out of the sea of things that's happening, go take a look at Watson, like the IBM technology. IBM has given a bunch of free licenses to college students and has seeded a ton of research at the university level in a thousand different directions. And all of that stuff is under the surface at the moment, but is going to explode out into the open here quite soon. So just just that one technology, you should think about how and where could I apply this across my enterprise. And then I would do that with 20 technologies that are emerging right now. Yeah. So, and again, there's so many, like you said, there's a sea of them. So it's, it's worth really having a team potentially really examine this stuff so you don't get disrupted the hard way. I think that's a more than worthwhile chewing point for the folks tuned in. Uh, for people who want to learn more from Marshall, Marshall, 
brain.com is his site. A lot of other talks about sort of the impact of automation on the economy, not to mention hardcore transhumanism stuff, which we did not get to get into today, but which is certainly an interest of mine. And yeah, for people who are interested in precedence of sort of what AI is doing in different industries, that's obviously what we cover here. And we hope to bring more and more of that to you guys every single week. Marshall, really grateful to have you on the program this week. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. And uh, have a great afternoon. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications and business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.